All right. So I have Wally Miller here with me, who is a financial coach who helps high achieving millennials and Gen Zers become work optional by taking control of their finances without sacrificing their lattes and brunches. She's a first generation college graduate, daughter of an immigrant and self-made millionaire who helps women balance spending, saving and wealth building without deprivation. So welcome Wally to the podcast for a chat about money today. This is my favorite topic, so I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to talk about this because it's cool to see money is becoming less taboo, like other topics that I'm bringing to this podcast, like even pleasure, sex, like things like that. All of these topics that we've just not looked at, especially women, there's been so much shame around it. And especially with money, I feel like this is a conversation I'm having with a lot more women, not to go on a total other tangent, but they don't really know what to do with money. Mm -hmm. Like they just haven't been taught. And so there's actually shame with that as well. Like I actually don't even know what to do or, you know what I mean? So now it's so cool that these conversations are being had and we're seeing women as role models who are making money managing their finances, but also having a life that is not just about that. Like they're actually balancing all areas of their life, becoming successful, et cetera. So this is why I'm really excited for this conversation today, um, for your perspective on this, to hear your story. So I'd love to hear, first of all, um, because I I know we all come from a background with, let's be honest, most of us not so great stories around money and experiences with money. So I was wondering, what was your experience with money growing up? I love to start there. Yeah, I think it's really common for people to uh, sort of get down on themselves and feel shame that they don't know as much as they think they should know. But really, unless we were taught by the people who raised us, by our parents, our grandparents, unless you took some classes in high school or college, specifically around personal finances, it's no wonder we don't know what to do with money, right? So much of what we learn about money is indirect, right? So we see what our parents do with money. We see how they handle stress. We see how they spend, how they save or don't save and what they do. And we uh, we adopt those behaviors, right? So studies have shown that between the ages of seven and 10 is when our relationship with money is formed. And that is really kind of surprising. So when we're talking about why do I keep doing this thing? Why do I make these decisions? Why do I keep repeating the same patterns? We have to really understand that we're working with a money mindset or a money relationship based on what seven, eight, nine, our seven, eight, nine-year-old selves learned about money and how we adopted that. And so for me, I love to talk about money now. As you mentioned, it is getting less taboo. If social media is good for some things, like this is one of those things. I think it's making a lot of what was taboo topics more accessible to people, right? You're able to, you know, learn about things, uh, you know, sort of seek commonalities and other people struggle and hear other people's stories, whether or not that is with relationships, mental health, sex, eating, whatever the case might be. And so when I think about my relationship with money, 
And, you know, like I said, I do like to talk about money now. And I was always interested in it. I think in some ways I was a little bit of a money nerd. I really liked my Excel spreadsheets. So in my mind, I thought I was good with money, but the reality was I was not. <laughs> right. And so when I think back about how I grew up, you know, I am one of five children. As you mentioned, I'm the daughter of an immigrant. And I grew up in a low income household, right? We weren't in poverty, but my my mom uh, was a stay at home mom. My dad was the only one working and I lived in one of the poorest boroughs in New York City. I lived in the Bronx. I was born and raised in the Bronx. And so there was a lot of conversations, not with us children, but conversations with the family about, oh, we can't afford that. We don't have money for that. No, we can't do that. Oops, the lights got turned off. Oh, there's no cable this month. Oh, actually, you know, uh, we might need to just eat cereal for breakfast and dinner sort of thing, right? And so my concept and my relationship with money was based on those experiences, right? And so many of us, we have those experiences. We have the other side of the spectrum. If your family never talked about money, but they seem to always purchase and buy. And when there were good things happening, they bought. And when there was bad things happening, they bought and spent money. Or when they were trying to, uh, you know, make things better, a tense situation better, there were gifts given, right? Those are the things that we begin to adopt and and uh, begin to observe for ourselves, right? We either end up wanting to be total opposite or we just duplicate those same behaviors and then sort of uh, create that as our own relationship. That's usually what happens. So if you're out there and you're like, yeah, I wish, I, like, why didn't anybody teach me this? There's many people who have not been taught this because it isn't something that is required and isn't really taught that much. Yeah, I agree. And this is why we're talking about it. So, and it's really interesting because when we start to look at this and it's really interesting that you mentioned between the ages of seven and 10, because I talk a lot about the subconscious mind here and that's usually between zero and seven, zero and 12. And essentially it's true. Like we're actually a lot of the time showing up as our child version. And even if we think about it, unless we've done the work and we're consciously like showing up from our adult self, the child version of us is managing our money, right? Which is kind of like, oh, that's a little frightening. You know what I mean? So it's just interesting to be aware of this, first of all, and then to be able to consciously choose differently. And that's kind of like with everything in our life, like it will show up in our relationships, it will show up in our money, it will show up in like all areas, right? So I wonder, so you mentioned that you were interested in money from an early age. And so what was the shift that happened for you with money that changed your financial reality? Because what I've seen, I like to study successful people and see, you know, people who shifted their reality. And the thing is, what I've seen is these people don't just shift their reality and then they go back after like a year. Obviously a lot of people do, but the successful people that I'm observing are actually, they had a shift that happens and then it only kind of goes up from there or it stays, it's usually like a gradual increase. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, was there a shift like that for you where it was almost like a defining moment where your life was never the same. 
Because yeah. I'm seeing this a lot happening. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mentioned that in my mind, I thought I was good with money. And how I defined being good with money was that I didn't have credit card debt. So I would put things on a credit card, but I would make sure to pay it off. And so I was like, I'm, I'm good with money. That means I'm good. But when we talk about the things that we're unaware of, right, and sort of where do our habits and our relationship with money come from, it was that child self, right? So when I think about what was going on between seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, and what was happening in the economy, what was happening with my parents' finances, I really came to understand that we don't know when money's going to come next, right? So you need to take care of making sure that you make the most out of it right now. Forget, don't worry about tomorrow. You need to make sure that you take care of the right now. And so how that tr sort of uh, transferred into my adult self was that as I, uh, you know, graduated from college and I started making money, I would always be sure to pay my bills. And then whatever money was left over, I was like, oh, this is for me to spend like right now with no concept of like what's going to happen tomorrow. And so again, because I was able to stay out of credit card debt, I was like, oh, I am good. Like all this, you know, a lot of the personal finance advice was all about getting out of debt. And in my mind, I was like, I didn't have debt, but that wasn't necessarily true because I did have debt. I had a car note, I had student loans, but that was quote unquote normal, right? Like everybody has student loans and I sort of justified it in that way. And so what started happening was I, you know, um, every year I would make a little bit more and every year I would spend a little bit more, right? So there's this term called lifestyle creep or lifestyle inflation, where the more money we make, the more money we spend. And again, on the surface, that sounds like, yeah, aren't you supposed to do that, right? The more money you make, the better car you have, the bigger house you buy, the more clothes you buy. But then what does that mean for our future selves? And so I remember receiving, um, I don't think they do this anymore, but the Social Security Administration, right? You know, those Social Security taxes and things that get taken out of our checks. Back in the day, they would send a statement every 10 years. And so I remember receiving my first statement when I was around 28 years old, and it had my 10-year work history. So I had like my job when I worked at Burger King and my internships. It had all of the money that I had made in most of my 20s. And I remember adding up all of the money that I made up to that point. And I remember feeling like, where did all that money go? Now, this wasn't that I was making six figures, but when I added up the $1,000 here, the $20,000 there, the $40,000 here, and all of the money that I had made up, I realized that I had nothing to show for that money. And that was the sort of like that light bulb moment, or not even light bulb moment, but it was like that moment of awareness, like something is not quite adding up here, right? This is saying I made X amount of money in my entire life. And I, my bank accounts don't reflect that, right? When I look around and see the stuff that I have, it was reflected in like clothes and shoes, right? And, you know, they say that if you want to see what someone values, it's like, look at their bank account. <laughs> and so my bank account was reflecting that I valued clothes and shoes. And truly, that wasn't what I valued. Yes, I like to buy clothes and I like to buy shoes and I like to buy nice things and have experiences like travel. 
but it wasn't really reflecting uh, you know, it wasn't my bank accounts and my bank account statements weren't really reflecting the things that were most important to me. And so that was sort of the first moment that I had. And I actually, if you have not done this, you can go online. And like I said, I don't think that they send physical statements out anymore, but you can go online to the Social Security Administration, create an online account. Uh, it's free and it'll have your work history and all of the money that you've made throughout your years. And see what that feels like to add up the amount of money that you made thus far, right? Does your life reflect that, right? Does it feel like you've made up that amount of money? Normally, people will say, yeah, there's no way I made that much money. And it's because we there was no intention with how we were spending, right? There was no awareness with what we were actually doing. Wow. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that is like a big aha moment for sure. And that definitely makes sense how this could have been like the moment to kind of check, check yourself almost. And this is something that I think is sort of a misconception for a lot of people. And something that I kind of got trapped into was, um, thinking that one thing, like, even if you learn something, oh, then my whole life is going to change. Like if I take this course, my whole life is going to change. If I learn this thing, my whole life is going to change. But it's actually, as you mentioned, like the intention, like the awareness, what are you going to do with that information? What are you going to do with that awareness? It's not just like, oh yeah, because you could have justified and been like, oh, this is, this is why I don't have the money that I want. This is why I don't have the reality that I want. I'm actually putting my money towards clothes and shoes. I don't know, whatever it is. And then you could have just sat there and just been like, oh, I have all of this awareness, right? But awareness doesn't matter if we don't do anything with it. So I'm wondering, what have you seen make the biggest difference in changing your money reality or with your clients? Like, is there like something or several factors that's really the thing that shifts people or even pushes them to do things differently? Because really it's about what are we going to, how are we going to move differently, right? How are we going to be different in our actions? And that obviously is around our thoughts too. So I'm wondering like, is there something that you've seen come up consistently within yourself and your clients that really has made the biggest, biggest difference in shifting that reality and, and making it like consistent, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think awareness is like the first step, right? But and then it is like, okay, now that you are aware of whatever the circumstance is, how does that make you feel? And what are the thoughts you have about it? Right? Because I could have been like, oh, yeah, that I'm totally fine. Like, I love spending money on shoes and clothes. My life is good. This feels good. But it just seemed misaligned. Right? I didn't see what was being reflected back to me. And it didn't make me feel like I was being responsible. Right. And so I think, again, being aware of sort of not only how much money is coming in, but also really understanding the amount of money that's going out, because it can be so easy to say, oh, yeah, well, eggs are $7.99 a dozen and rent here in New York City is like $2,000 a month and X, Y, you know, whatever the case might be. And we can quickly justify things, but it's just, and, and I am a natural spender and I can justify spending money on anything, right? But it's like, okay, now that I realize, like, wait a minute, the number 
that I'm actually bringing in and what is actually going out isn't not only is it not aligning with the way I want to live my life, but I'm also not doing anything about it. Right. And that was what I had to decide that I wanted to do something about it. And I think it's really, it's important to do the inner work. And I know it can sound a little woo woo, right. (laughs) About like, okay, like, I don't want to think about what the, you know, how to, you know, what is it that I uh, value most? And what is my why, right? Like, it can be so easy to say, okay, yes, I want to just get out of this credit card debt. I just really want to pay off these student loans. I don't want to have them forever. But it's like, why? right? The the why is really important. And really figuring out what it means to uh, live the life that you want to live. And again, that sounds so vague. But when we think about money, money is just a tool. It's not good or bad. It's neutral, right? But how you use that tool, right, to design, to design, to design the life that you want to live is what matters, right? Are you living the life that you want to live based on that? When I realized that I had made that, you know, that amount of money and it wasn't really aligning with what I valued most, I had to think about what was it that I valued, right? I realized, you know what, even though I do like clothes and shoes, it's not my value. And there's nothing wrong with liking it, right? We want to enjoy the things. But what I really valued was traveling. What I really valued was freedom. I wanted freedom. I didn't want to have to depend on a job. I didn't want to have to depend on a client. And that was really what was happening. If I missed one paycheck, I might be okay. Two paychecks, I would be in trouble. Three paychecks, that's it, right? I would essentially be losing everything I had worked worked so hard for. And so what we want to do when it comes to our finances, and it can feel very overwhelming. It can feel overwhelming to sit and like look at our bank statements and look at all of the transactions and to think about everything that we've spent money on. And I think there is some value in looking at the past and doing a little bit of tracking. But really what I tell my clients is when we're driving in a car, our rear view mirror is like yay big, right? It's like small. It's important to have to like have that back perspective, you know, that rear view perspective to see sort of what's happened. But when we're driving in the car, that windshield in the front is the the largest piece of glass in the whole car. And why is that? It's because it's more important to be focused on what you want your path to be ahead. And so when we're thinking about our money reality and when we're thinking about uh, changing the life that you want, it's important. Yeah, look to the left, to the right. It's important to see what's happened but really begin to plan what you want to do now. Now that you know what's been happening and now that you realize that it's not really aligning with the life that you want to live, what do you want that life to look like? And when I really sat down to think about it, I was like, look, traveling is really important to me. I want to feel safe. I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to be worried about whether or not I can help a family member, you know, and that I want to help. I don't want to be concerned about, you know, if I miss a paycheck or if I get laid off or if I lose my job or if I want to quit a quit a toxic work environment that I have to stay stuck at. Like I want to have that safety net. And those things were really important. And so I slowly began to make sure that my spending 
was being reflective of what I valued. And some of that was a little hard, was hard work, right? I had, I would go into Target for like a roll of toilet paper and leave with a basket of candles and pillows, and all of these things. And what the awareness helped me to do wasn't to say, oh no, you can't do that, right? It was more of what am I saying? It's not about saying no to a bunch of things. It's about saying yes to one thing loudly. And my yes was that I wanted freedom, that I wanted to be financially independent. And I didn't quite understand what that meant, but I was just like, I just want to feel safe. And the way I was living wasn't safe because I was literally spending every dollar that I had. And what I wanted was that safety net. And so I would go and grab a shirt or an item and I would say, okay, wait a minute. I could purchase this thing and it would be worth X amount of hours of my time in order to earn the money to buy it, right? It was worth one hour of work, five hours of work, 10 hours of work. Sometimes I would say, you know what? It's worth it. Most of the time I would say, actually, if I have to go to work <laughs> to work for two hours just to buy this thing, it gave me pause and many times it helped me to make the decision of not to purchase it. Now, this that's only one very specific thing, like when we're talking about how do you spend money. I think the other piece that I had to learn and understand wasn't so much about saving and hoarding and saying no and all of that, but it was also how can I leverage the money that I do bring in in order to build wealth? And that was like the next piece that was really important. How could I really use this money as a tool to, to uh, not only uh, have that security, but really, really build wealth? Yeah, and we're going to talk about that for sure, about how we can start to take action. But I want to dive into a little bit of like the energy and the, and the, the money mindset, because I think this is something that also came up for me when I was reflecting around, we all have areas in our life where we struggle. Like some of us, it's like, it's always in relationships or it's always with money. It's always with career. It's always with health. And a lot of the time, if you actually look at that area that you're struggling with consistently, it's also really important to look at like, what are my dominant thoughts about that topic for myself? Because every single time I will tell you, it's not positive, it's toxic, or it's it's gotta be so hard, it never works out for me. And then even looking at like, oh, how did I learn about that? What was demonstrated to me about that topic growing up, as you mentioned? There we can get so many answers. And so I think sometimes we don't actually realize how much our mind actually affects money because we think that it's like, no, I need to go do more. But how many people do more, but they're still broke? How many people win the lottery and then they spend it all or they're broke after like three years, right? And so this is where like that money mindset comes into play and even like upper limit. But one of the things that I um, also want to touch on because you mentioned like the spending because the opposite is like the hoarding energy. Mm -hmm. And so they're both, they're both kind of the same energy, right? Like you, we don't feel safe basically with money, mm -hmm. right? So I wonder if you want to talk about like that as well as the fear of making money because this, I think a lot of people don't realize that they have it. Mm -hmm. And I've also like reflected on this within myself where it's like the fear of success, the fear of making money. 
and how that can be so threatening that subconsciously we reject it, right? Yeah. Oh, I love this topic. You know, I was in my early 30s when I made my first six figures. And some people would be like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Great. You should feel so proud. And I remember feeling so much guilt around it, right? There's this whole concept of wealth guilt that I, it's really important to me to talk about because so many people can feel this for so many different reasons, right? You might feel guilt for having wealth. For example, if you feel like it was unearned, if you inherited it, or if it came easy to you, right? There's that sense of wealth guilt. Then there's also wealth guilt where you feel guilty because you did make it, right? And there's so many people who are struggling and so many people that you love and so many people in your community that are struggling and you're like, why me, right? And it also feels undeserving, even if you worked hard for it, right? Even if you did earn it in your mind and our minds, it can feel like, you know, like, wait a minute, like this shouldn't be the case. And I think it's so important to believe this because I don't think many of us wake up and feel like, uh, I'm going to reject money or I am, I fear success or anything like that. But in so many of our emotions and the way that we act, um, we can repel money. I 100% believe that. Right. And what ended up happening for me was I remember, and it was, what was weird was that my, uh, my sort of my salary increase was going from like 94,000 to a hundred thousand. So it wasn't like I was earning 30,000 and then all of a sudden I was earning a hundred thousand. Like it was such a small increase, but the mind drama that came with like being a six figure earner was huge. And I did feel a lot of guilt from that. I felt, you know, as I mentioned, I, you know, come from a lower income family and, you know, I, in some ways I knew that it wasn't hard work, right. That like, that was how you earned money. There's pl plenty of people who work way harder than I do, who work 80 hours a week and we're, we're, we're earning way less. So I think that's sort of a, a, a false, sense, right? Like it's, oh, well, they don't work hard enough. Like that is, I did not believe that. So I just felt like, you know, that, that increase from being, from being <laughs> working, you know, earning 94,000 to $100,000, it just felt very heavy, right? There came with this big sense of responsibility. And a lot of that came from because of how I grew up and sort of the associations that I had, sort of my thoughts about how people who earned money were, right? No one ever told me, oh, people who are rich are bad. Like that wasn't something that I grew up with, but there was some phrases, there was some sentiments about greed, for example, that if you did have money or if you were wealthy, that there was some like greed. And so I began to, to absorb those care. I began to think that those characteristics defined me now. Now that I was earning six figures that, oh my goodness, am I greedy, right? Am I going to become selfish? Like, am I selfish because I earned this much? Should I like tell them not to give me any more money? And all of those feelings came. And I know some people don't understand that. They're like, what, what do you mean? Like, no, but for me, wealth guilt was a real big thing. And I didn't even relate to that term wealth, right? I, when I thought about somebody who was wealthy, I was like, okay, that's like, 
some like old man in a velvet, you know, robe smoking a cigar. Like there's no concept to me of that, but I really had to define what wealth meant to me. And when we're thinking about finances, yes, there's some math and calculations involved, but I would say that's like maybe 20% of it. The rest, the 80% is all about money mindset. And when we're thinking about money mindset, it is your behaviors, your relationship, your thoughts, your habits when it comes to how you spend money and how you earn money and how you use money and, you know, your thoughts and feelings when it comes to money. And it is so, so important, right? Because if you begin to think that you do not deserve money, what will happen is that we just let the money sort of like you know, slip through our fingers, we begin to spend and then overspend, we become irresponsible, uh, uh, irresponsible, we become a frivolous, right? We begin to spend frivolously. And this is not to say that because you want certain things, or you spend in a certain way that it is frivolous, I think you can buy whatever you want to buy, as long as it's an intentional choice, right? When you are making intentional spending decisions and being mindful with that. I think so many times what ends up happening is, you know, uh, I mentioned like sort of like the Target run, and that seems like such a simplistic, you know, thought, but I would go to Target with the idea of I am going to buy XYV, right? I'm going to buy toilet paper, laundry detergents, and whatever. And all of a sudden, I would leave with a cart full of things that were on sale, quote unquote. So I was saving money and it was like, no, you're not saving money, right? You just spent money that you did not intend to. And I think we really need to become aware. And so many of my clients, you know, when we're thinking about building wealth, there's two paths to building wealth, right? You can either reduce your expenses, right? Or you can increase your income. So that's it. It's two ways reduce your expenses or increase your income. But the third piece to that is what you do with the gap from when you're spending money from what you need to spend. So spending on whatever the, the, the categories are, your essential expenses, your discretionary spending, but what do you do with everything left over, right? And I think if you don't have a plan for that, if you don't really have a plan for how you are going to, uh, Uh, spend that gap money, we end up spending it on things that don't matter to us, right? It just sort of, you know, you have a $20 bill and then all of a sudden it's like, where did that $20 bill go? And so we really just want to be more mindful in the money that comes in, but also in how the money is going out. Yeah. So you talked about money mindset, even talked about like actions with money, like looking at our money, I think that's really important to actually be aware because if we just, you know, put our hands and heads in the sand and just don't look at it, we're in denial, then it can't change either. So obviously awareness is really important than being aware of like, you know, how are we spending our money? And then you mentioned like spending your money, but now the thing is really cool that we have access to information about how can we make our money work for us, right? Because I think this is like so important now, especially when it comes to multiple income streams. And as you talked about, there are some people working 80 hour work weeks and they're literally struggling like paycheck to paycheck. And 
that's literally disproven that working harder is going to make you more money. And so we can actually make our money multiply by doing not much, like a few clicks, right? And so this is where I'd love to talk about, just to wrap things up a little bit, investing. Like what, if somebody wants to get into investing and wants to get into this topic of making your money work for you, because as you mentioned, like, okay, you have that money that's left over. What would we do with that? What are ways that we can actually make that money work for us? Um, and if that's investing, where do we even start? Yeah. So I like to say there's sort of three paths to investing. There's investing in real estate, right? You can purchase a property, rent out a couple rooms. Now you're, it's a cash flowing property, right? So there's real estate. You can invest in owning a trailer park. You can buy a house and rent it out, an apartment building, right? So we understand usually real estate investing. Then there's entrepreneurship right? And entrepreneurship is incredibly powerful tool because it doesn't matter what uh, industry you're working in, there's usually a cap somewhere, right? Even Jeff Bezos, there's but so much money that there's going to be a cap somewhere, right? Unless he continues to innovate, right? So there is like industries where um, there is a cap. But with entrepreneurship, like you can make as much money as you want. <laughs> like it's really depending on to you. And I think that it is um, something that isn't taught or explored enough. And this is not to say that, you know, I did not consider myself, I was never attracted to entrepreneurship. And I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I thought I was going to be a nine to five corporate person. I enjoyed the job that I was doing. I found fulfillment in it. It wasn't that I hated my job. But it wasn't until I realized that I had some skills that other people needed access to, and I had the power to help them change their lives, and they were willing to pay for it. Like, what? <laughs> what in the world? So entrepreneurship is the sort of this other second vehicle, and so many things can fall with entrepreneurship, right? Or so many categories. The third one is the stock market. Now, in the stock market, I'm going to include things like NFTs and cryptocurrency. So let's just call it the market. I have, I'm a real estate investor. I do have rental property. I'm an entrepreneur and I have money invested in the stock market. They all have their challenges, but the easiest path for me is the stock market, right? Why do I say that? Because it can feel very complex and complicated. Like, wait a minute, but I see people with 16 different screens and all of these different charts and all of that. But really you make one decision and then you set it and forget it and you never have to think about it again. So I love the stock market for that reason. But I also love entrepreneurship because I think entrepreneurship brings empowerment, right? There's nothing like making your first $10 <laughs> from your own skills that you could like it's so empowering to to do that right so there's so many different ways uh when when it comes to investing and i think it's really about understanding what is going to make you feel most comfortable i say the stock market is the lazy way to get to be rich <laughs> and i do love it for sure um but you know there's real estate and there's entrepreneurship and there's nothing wrong with trying out a couple and seeing which one you enjoy the most i think the stock market gets a bad rap because there are people who are gambling and they call it investing 
right? So if we think about, you know, when uh, people were buying those quote unquote meme stocks and AMC and, you know, all of those things that were happening and like they lost money or people who invested in Dogecoin and now like what happened to the Dogecoin millionaire, right? So there's all those things, but it doesn't have to be that complicated. And when we're thinking about stock market investing, um, you know, when people come to me and they're like, I want to get inv started investing, where should I start? What really they're asking me is what stock should I buy? And the right answer is, I don't know. I don't know what stock you should buy. If I knew what stock you should buy or which stock that I should buy, like I'd be a billionaire already. But really use the tools that you have available to you. So if you have a nine to five job and you have access to a 401k, start there. So many people don't realize that is investing. If you're an entrepreneur, open up an IRA, start there, right? Like start, it's not sexy. Those are not the things that people get excited about, but it's such a simple way to begin investing. And just to wrap that piece up, when we're thinking about investing and passive income, passive income does require an investment. It either requires an investment of time and energy in the beginning or money. So somebody who writes a book and then just sits back and enjoys the royalties, guess what? They had to write that book. They had to do the research and there was an investment of their time and energy at the beginning, right? Investing in the stock market doesn't require time and energy, it requires money, right? But so many people think that you need to have $1,000 or 10,000 or whatever amount, like you can start investing with $25. So don't get overwhelmed with all of the different options. Really think about the tools that you have available to you right now and start there. Yeah, I love how you mentioned that because it's really, you can start so small. Like, I think a lot of people think that, oh, I need like 10K. To, it's like, no, you can literally put a few dollars in. And the thing is mm -hmm. compound effect, right? You like Absolutely. literally just don't touch it and then leave that for years and come back to it. And right, like that's where it's better to start earlier, I think, even if it's a smaller amount and then we can always add more in. Um, but last question for you before we wrap up is when it comes to investing, if someone's in debt, what is your opinion about investing? Should they invest or should they pay off their debt fully first? Like, do you have an opinion on that? I 100% have an opinion on it. <laughs> um, you know, I, when it comes to money, there is the mathematical strategic optimized choice. And then there's an emotional decision. And what I tell my clients is that the best thing that you could do is know both of them. Know what is the mathematically, cor uh, not correct, but the mathematically optimized choice. And then also know yourself, right? I believe that if you have six figures of student loan debt, and it's going to take you 15 years to pay that off, Waiting 15 years to invest is way too long, right? But if you have $4,000 of credit card debt and that credit card debt is, you know, accumulating um, at a 25% interest, which most credit cards are, it makes no sense to invest money in the stock market earning 10, 15%. Even if you earn 20% in the stock market, if you're paying 25% to a credit card, right? Right. So I think it's really about understanding what type of debt that you have, 
how quickly can you focus in on it to get rid of it? But I do think that even with debt, even if you have a mortgage, even if you have student loan debt, even if you have like low interest rate debt, that it is okay. And actually, I really strongly encourage start your investing journey because you don't have to, it's not an either or choice, right? There's a, okay, I'm going to continue to pay off my student loans. I'm going to continue to pay off my car note. I'm going to continue to pay off my mortgage. But while I'm doing that, I'm also going to start investing and building wealth. When we think about the stock market, a good conservative view is that the stock market will return about 10% on average over the long term. Okay, so what does that mean? That doesn't mean that every year or every month it's going to be bringing back 10%. What that means is that over 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, your, your money is going to be growing at a 10% interest. Okay, that means that there's going to be some down years, right? And there's going to be some up. The, the thing to focus on is to have a plan, set sort of an investing philosophy is what I tell my clients, right? Think about, okay, when is it that I want to have that money? What am, what do I need it for, right? Um, is this, oh, I want to uh, um, have money so that I go on vacation in six months? Or is this, okay, you know what? In 10 years, I want to walk away from my job and I want to have enough money generating, especially when it comes to financial independence. Uh, financial independence is essentially having passive income that pays for your lifestyle, right? So you have this passive income bucket, whether it is real estate, whether it is uh, um, uh, the stock market, and that money is growing and has grown to such an extent that it pays for your housing costs and your food and your bills, right? Like that is financial independence where you don't have to, you can no longer, you no longer need to exert energy to make it. So can you be in debt and pay all and invest at the same time? Absolutely. But really, if you have credit card debt or very high interest debt, you want to focus on that because, you know, credit cards, like I said, have 20, 25, 29% interest. And you're basically what it's going to be a wash if, uh, if your interest rate is that high. I love that answer. Thank you for sharing. And um, <laughs> to wrap it up, I'd love for you to talk about what you do. And even maybe first off, by differentiating, what is the difference between a financial advisor and a financial coach? Love the question. Thank you so much. So in my work with my one-on-one -on -one clients, many of my clients have not, um, have not understood or don't really know what their money mindset is. And a financial advisor is not going to sit down and talk to you about your of your money uh, about your money mindset. It's not going to help you create a spending plan that works for you, right? Um, they're not going to necessarily help you uh, think about what is your why or what is it or um, how you want to design your life, right? So financial advisors or really financial planners, okay? Because I think that sometimes there are people in certain industries that call themselves the financial advisor and they have every right to, but really they focus on one industry, on one aspect. So when we're thinking about a holistic approach, you want to have a financial planner who can not only think about the um, 
your current money that you're making now, but your estate planning and your insurance needs and also what you want in the future. Many people will go to a financial planner first or a financial advisor first, thinking that they want the help with the basics and a financial advisor or a financial planner don't do that, right? Especially when they, um, they're really, they make their money when they have assets under management, right? Which means assets, investments already, and they're going to help you manage that. And so my job as a financial coach is number one, to help you understand your spending habits and create a spending plan that best aligns with the life that you want to live, right? Helps you understand your current money relationship, replacing any habits, any behaviors that you want to replace. And really taking control of that. Now, I'm a little bit different in financial coaches that I also touch on teaching my clients how to invest, right? And feeling comfortable with that because I don't think you absolutely, especially in the beginning when you're just learning and starting that you 100% need to um, have a financial advisor. So many of financial advisors also have like a $100,000 minimum, right? And if you're dealing with credit card debt and student loan, like you probably don't have $100,000 to even begin working with them to even enter the door. So I think a financial coach will help you. And what I do with my clients is that I help my clients, again, understand their money. Yes, there's some math and calculations and some cute spreadsheets, but it's really about understanding the money mindset, right? It's really about understanding the income that's coming in, the uh, expenses that are going out and begin to forming that wealth building plan. And a financial advisor or certified financial planner, what they do is once you have assets to manage, once you have assets to uh, begin planning with, then that's when they are good to come and step in. Um, so that is the difference. Beautiful. Thank you for explaining that. So how can we work with you? How can we find you? Um, yeah, what are you up to? How can we get more into your world? Let us know all the things. Well, again, thank you so much for having me. I'm super, I, again, I love talking about money. Hopefully my enthusiasm and my passion <laughs> has come across on the podcast, but I know not everybody likes to talk about money. Um, and I like to say that by the time my clients finish working with me, they may not be as ecstatic about um, talking about money as I am, but they 100% feel much more confident and empowered about where they are going to be a year, five years, 20 years from now when it comes to their finances. And I help my clients create a financial philosophy and a financial framework so that when they're making decisions about spending money and earning money, that they're, they have uh, a framework to work off of. So if you are interested in any of that, I really, uh, most of my clients tend to be women. Um, and I think money in the power in the hands of women equals power. And we can change this world <laughs> to such a better place. If more women uh, took control of their money and really began building wealth. So you can find me at financiallythriving.com. I'm pretty active on Instagram, financially underscore thriving. But if you go to my website, financially thriving, you can book a call with me, learn a little bit more about financial coaching and uh, follow me there. We will put all of the link in the show notes so everyone can follow along. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today and for sharing your story and your expertise and your knowledge. I love this conversation too. So 
Thank you so much. I think it was really powerful and you're doing amazing work in this world. Thank you so much. Once again, I really appreciate you and you are doing fabulous work.